How can you not be romantic about baseball? Bringing a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I got I to gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. You are listening to Booze and Baseball with Derek Johnson. I'm Dusty Baker. Pull up a seat and sit with us at our bar. Let's talk some ball. And Derek, um, before we do that, we're going to have a massive cheers in a moment. So uh, I need to know, what are you drinking on this evening? And we are recording on June the 20th for the June 21st episode, uh, the all-important episode after a while of waiting. And uh, we'll reveal why in a moment. But Derek, what are you drinking? Yeah, so I, I wish I, I forgot I was gonna stop at the uh, liquor store on my way home, but I forgot and I was gonna get some of those like pre-made Jello shots in honor of the College <laughs> World Series. They have the Jello shot shot challenge at Rocco's. LSU has obliterated everyone, uh, but anyway, I did not have that. So what I'm gonna do today? I have this screwball whiskey, peanut butter whiskey. I think I've had that before on the show. I have this Chambord, which is uh, something I've had in in a drink that Stacy made me. It was like a mixed drink with gin in it. Um, I've never done this before, but supposedly if you go half and half on the two of these, which I'm going to do right now, pour about, I don't know, half a shot of each or something like that. I'm just eyeballing this. Couldn't find a shot glass. Then it makes a peanut butter and jelly shot. Okay, I've heard about this. I have heard about this. I I don't know the legitimacy of it. So I guess at this moment, we're going to find out right now. Um, And uh, you're going a straight half and half, right? Uh, yes, I will be going straight half and half, although the top of the Chambord bottle is stuck. So uh, <laughs> what are you drinking today? <laughs> while Derek gets his drink ready, and as you can tell, you know, while this is not technically live TV, it's pretty dang close to that. Uh, we are recording with no editing, as you can tell. Um, I am. This is the first day that I'm able to drink in over two weeks. Uh, I had ACL surgery, and so I finally literally as of today I can drink so it's perfectly appropriate i've been dying to have whiskey for a while now i've had this drink before i really don't care it's straight up as easy as it gets whiskey on the rocks it is a different one though it's angel's envy i haven't had this one on the podcast yet uh angel's envy is distilled in louisville and it's actually on one of the main streets in louisville so if you go to a louisville sluggers game where you might have at one point in time seen the likes of Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McLean, all these guys that are now with the Cincinnati Reds, uh, you could have probably had an Angels Envy bourbon, actually, instead of whiskey. I kept saying whiskey. I, it's an Angels Envy bourbon 
um, that uh, you could have before the game. And uh, you still can do that. You're just not going to see those same faces. So uh, while I take a sip of this, Derek, what is it? What is it like? All right. Um, I'll try it. I have a chilled. It's on ice. So uh, it's very interesting. Um, so the Chambord is, is like black raspberry type flavor. So it's, you know, some people are very divisive on their PB and J's. Uh, whether they like strawberry jelly, grape jelly, or, you know, any type of jelly. So it's it's closer to being like a grape with the uh, the black raspberry, I guess. But uh, no, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, I don't know that I would like drink this solely, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm more sipped in there. It'd probably be good for a shot. Are you a big PB&J guy? Oh, yeah. Very big PB&J. Okay. I, you know, I'm good for probably once a year where like I will go through a stretch where, you know, I, I go through phases. Like it'll be like, oh, this week I'm all about, you know, this food. Like last week I was all about like bagel sandwiches for some reason. <laughs> so I bought a bunch of bagels at the store. This, uh, there once a year, like I'll be good for like a week where I'm just like, nope, I'm having PB. Like that's my lunch every week when I make my lunch, like PB and J's like every day. So yeah, solid. Well, you're about to approach a, a new season possibly of food uh, and it may be stress eating. It may be uh eating based off of not getting much sleep. And uh, I do want to give a cheers because cheers to Derek on some uh, pretty amazing news in his life. And Derek, I'll let you go ahead as we cheers here. Uh, go ahead and tell our folks uh, what, what's been happening in your life. Yeah. Uh, so, well, my, my wife is uh, pregnant and we're really excited about it. So, yeah. Future first round draft pick. <laughs> We're going to draft him in fantasy if it's a him. Uh, we don't know the uh, the sex yet. Uh, when do we find that out? Uh, a couple weeks. A couple weeks. Okay. So mm -hmm. by the next podcast, we may potentially have that. So uh, does this mean that on the next podcast, Eric, I'm going to have to have a blue drink and a uh, a pink drink ready to go? Is is that <laughs> is that what we're going to have to do? <laughs> Possibly. I guess I would have to have the pink or the blue available because I'll, I'll know what it is. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm challenging yeah. you to do that. And I'll have on hand too ready to go not knowing um and uh you could tell me what liquor goes in each one and then i mean honestly you could practically poison me on the one that you already know you'll you'll know it ahead of time you could say blue gatorade for one and the other one is like smirnoff mixed with like pink dye you know no i i think you should have to pick up a blue smirnoff and a red smirnoff and then i tell you which one to chug that's a deal. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll actually maybe be able to uh, drive to the grocery store for that. So um, little things in life are not easy with this ACL, but it's far from having a child. Let me say that. Uh, so congratulations to you, Derek. We're, we're really excited for you. Um, and uh, that news is uh, the best news that you can have. So uh, with that in mind, an easy transition. It was Father's Day this past weekend. And so I wanted to do a chug and look back at its stat. On June the 21st of 1964, that was Father's Day. And also, Jim Bunning was daddy big time on that day because he threw a perfect game uh, for the Philadelphia Phillies. That was over the New York Mets. It was on Father's Day at Chase Stadium. Six to nothing, the Phillies won. He struck out 10 on 89 pitches, Derek. Something we never see at this point anymore. It was the first perfect game in the modern NL era. And also, it was the seventh perfect game as well in Major League Baseball history. Now, I got to remind you, the last perfect game was on August the 15th of 2012. That was King Felix when he pitched against the Tampa Bay Rays. It's been a while, Derek. Uh, do you think we're ever going to see another perfect game again, considering, you know, we've increased the size of the bases, you have the pitch clock. It almost feels like a perfect game is absolutely impossible. 
Could you imagine if like Ellie David Cruz just beating out that normal ground out to first base with the breakup <laughs> a perfect game? Like how ridiculous that would have been. No, I, I think we'll get another perfect game again. I, I wouldn't be surprised we get one in the next couple of years. Like I, I'm surprised it's been that long to be completely honest. We've had so many no hitters though, over the past, you know, five or six years that it makes me feel like you're, you're a lot closer to getting those perfect games than you might think. As far as this year, we don't have any no-hitters this season. I do believe we have two cycles. Is that right? I, I know for a fact JT Realmuto has one. And if I'm not mistaken, Luis Arise was the other one that had a cycle. Did, did Arise have a cycle or he just has gone five for five every single plate appearance? Yeah, I don't know if he has a cycle. He only has two home runs this year. So yeah, you're narrowing down the chances to have a cycle. But yeah, he has three five for five games this month, which is just remarkable. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, the no-hitter will be very much appreciated in this era, and as is the cycle, obviously. So hoping that we get something along those lines, but a perfect game, it seems like that's very far out of reach until we get the next dominant starter. But uh, that's your look back at it stat right there, Jim Bunning. And from that, we're going to transition to a new segment. Um, and it's a unique one because Derek and I, we're all about stock, right? We love being able to buy high and uh, or buy low, sell high, if, if you will. And um, yeah, nobody wants to buy high. I, I do buy high, actually, I will say. Um, I do that more often than I want. So with that in mind, in this buying and selling MLB team segment that we have, you have 100 drinks to divvy out, okay? And so basically each drink is a dollar. And so in order to do that, we're buying team stock based off of the winning percentage of the teams currently heading into the day of recording, which is June the 20th. So the cost of the stock is the winning percentage. And so a team like the Tampa Bay Rays with a 680 win percentage, one share of stock would be 68 cents, of course. So keeping that in mind, we're kind of going to go through our list with our $100, 100 drinks, if you will. How do we allocate those? And we will come back on this as well at the trade deadline, so roughly around early August or the end of the July. And we'll be able to sell anything we've actually bought. Um, and, of course, we'll look back on where we kind of went right and where we went wrong. So we'll see who has the most money by the end of the year. The difference, well, it's drinks that you owe. So, Derek, I'm going to let you start with your portfolio. Take us through kind of how you navigated this. Yeah. So, I mean, basically the goal here is if you can get a team who you think is better than their record, you're buying into them right now. So, you know, if I can get like uh, the first one I'm going to do, I'm going to buy 30 shares of the Cleveland Guardians. Their winning percentage is 465 right now. So about 46 cents a share, 30 shares of that is going to cost me $13.95 of the $100. Basically what I'm hoping for here is, you know, the division's not very good. Gavin Williams coming up. Uh, Jose Ramirez is, is red hot right now. Uh, they, they've had enough good development with pitching and they have enough good young pitchers with Logan Allen and Tanner Bybee and now possibly Gavin Williams, Shane Bieber, even though the strikeouts aren't there, he's still been an effective pitcher um, to where I, I think they can do better than where they are now. I think they can be closer to 500. And if they get up to, you know, a 500 winning percentage, then all of a sudden I'm making, you know, at that point, like four cents per share. Right. So basically um, I'm just trying to, you know, add as much as I can. I think there's more potential there. I think there's still playoff potential in this team. Um, and then, you know, whether it's if they can get hot before the trade deadline and then, you know, I, I sell them at that point or if I just hold on to them for the rest of the year, I like that. Uh, the Kansas City Royals, I'm going to buy 30 shares of them. This sounds asinine because they are literally the worst team in baseball, <laughs> but their winning percentage is 264. It is such a cheap cost. I'm going to buy 30 shares of this. It's going to cost $7.92. 
I just think that – so the Royals are having historic over the last month or two, like, struggles with runners in scoring position. They might be the least clutch team of all time. I think some of that will bounce up a little bit. Now, clearly, they're not a good team. Clearly, if you're not a good team, you're not going to perform as well in clutch opportunities, and you have a young team. But to be, like, one of the worst all time – and right now, that's where the record pacing is pacing. The record is pacing to be one of the worst records in MLB history. I think they're bad. I don't think they're that bad. The Pythagorean win total has them about five wins better. So I think I think this could be a good buy low if they just get you – know, like, they don't have to win a lot of games for that number to go up, which is uh, the beauty of that. Like, if they go two and five, that number goes up. I'll get 30 shares of the Seattle Mariners. They're playing 500 ball right now. Love their pitching. Just need the hitting to come around. That'll cost me 15 bucks. I, I still think they could be a playoff team, so that would clearly go up from there. I'll get 30 shares of the New York Mets. I know, uh, you know, coaching staff's kind of on the hot seat right now, and they have a lot of talent, and they're underperforming, 472 winning percentage. So it's going to cost me 14, 16, but I still like the talent. I still think it comes together. I still think a run is in them. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, who knows? They, they have another manager who's on the, the hot seat, and Ali Marmol, and I'm going to get 30 shares of them. They're on another cold streak here. Uh, just 411 for the winning percentage. I still think there's too much talent on that roster. And this to me feels like one where what if the manager gets fired and it ends up like the interim guy, uh, it lights a fire under the team's butt or something like that. So that's going to cost me 1233. I, I think there's more to it on that Cardinals team. Um, and if they get even just a few more wins, if they can at least get back in striking distance with the central being wide open, maybe they could be buyers at the deadline. And the last one I'm going to do, I'm going to get 30 shares of the San Diego Padres at a 486 winning percentage. The Padres have had a lot of close games and they've just lost. That could be a little bit of bad luck. That could mean that they don't have guys who step up in the clutch. That could mean that, you know, they're, they're lacking something in the bullpen or depth of it or whatever it is, right? Uh, it could be a mix of everything. I do think there is a little bit of bad luck there. They are the last place team in the MLB. I, coming into yesterday, they, they flashed a graphic during the Giants game. I don't know what it is now. But they were hitting like 195 on the season with runners in scoring position, which is by far last in the MLB. Now, again, um, are they just not a clutch team? Do they just not have a good depth of hitters that take advantage of those situations? Possible. But we also know they have Manny Machado, who's been a career great hitter in those situations. Juan Soto, same thing, right? Like they have enough guys that have a track record there that even if they just become like an average team with runners in scoring position, that means there's a big correction to the norm coming. I don't know that the hype should be for the Padres where it was preseason of being like one of the World Series favorites, but do I think they are, are below 500 team? Heck no. I, I think there's too much talent that, that at, at worst, it should be a mid to high 80s win team, if not in the 90s, which means that I, I feel like I'm buying at a good spot with a 486 mark. So uh, total it all up, 30 shares on the Guardians, Royals, Mariners, Mets, Cardinals, Padres. It's going to cost me 77.94 total. That uh, leaves me with $22.06 left over that I can kind of play around with once we get to the uh, all-star deadline in addition to anything that I sell at that point. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think all of those were reasonable uh, reasons why you put this uh, th that amount of shares. Now, I'm kind of interested before I get to mine. So you did 30 shares of stock for each one of these teams. Is that just because you kind of wanted to do that straight across the border? Kind of take me through your reasoning on that. I didn't really have a rhyme or reason to be completely honest. Like I, I didn't really feel maybe overly confident over one more than the other. I just kind of liked all the picks. I just wanted to kind of balance that. You know, they say balance out your portfolio, right? Maybe that's just what I was trying to do subconsciously. Yeah. It's not a bad approach at all. It's interesting just because I'll, I'll head to mine. Now I, I did take a slightly different approach 
while I had somewhat of a balance, uh, I kind of staggered it based off of how much I did value uh, my prediction or the confidence level, if you will, that I had in the team. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start from bottom to top because Derek actually listed three teams that uh, I also have, and they also coincidentally are the three least amount of shares that I picked. So we'll start from bottom to top. I have five shares on the St. Louis Cardinals at 411 as well. So right now that's $2.06. Um, it's the team I'm least confident in, but I just have a hard time seeing the Cardinals being as bad as they've been. Uh, and if they don't trade a guy like Nolan Arenado or Paul Goldschmidt in that division, it's hard to see them staying as bad as they've been. Um, now, if they make those trades, I think that stock definitely goes down. Uh, but you know, at, at this point in time, I mean, the Cardinals in my eyes, they were a playoff candidate that could have made a decent run this year. So I'm throwing a little bit at them. They've looked terrible, but just because they have good players, that's really the only reason why I'm doing this. Uh, I have 10 shares on two of the other teams that Derek had mentioned. The San Diego Padres are one of them. Um, and pretty much for the exact same reasoning that Derek gave, that's why I'm giving I will say that the Padres were without Fernando Tatis Jr. at the start of the year. And as Derek also mentioned, Manny Machado has been out for a while. So you have to believe that part of that winning percentage is just the idea that they haven't had two of their key pieces really together at any point this season. So it already feels automatic that that number is going to rise. The only thing that concerns me is the teams above them in the division a little concerning as far as how many wins are they actually going yeah. to get over what they would have before. Right. So that's why I'm only throwing 10 shares at them. Uh, the other 10 shares go to the Kansas city Royals for the same reason Derek had mentioned as well. I, I, I like the buy low is really what it is. And it's in a division that, um, you know, looking at it at the end of the day, they're going to have probably a couple teams there that are going to sell. Uh, the Royals have young talent that's coming up to a degree or your young talent on the team right now. Um, that's fighting. I mean, these pieces are fighting for roster spots, right? Like guys like Nick Prado, they need to step up. And so yeah. there's no reason for them to play down. So I, I think that in my eyes, the Royals, they're not going to get much worse. They don't have a lot of pieces really to sell at the deadline. Um, so I can only really see them go up. If anything, stay at the same spot. I have 15 shares on the Pittsburgh pirates. They're at 479. I have only one actual reason why I'm doing this, and that is O'Neill Cruz. They've been playing great baseball uh, for the majority of the first half of the season. They've kind of fallen off a little bit uh, thanks to a rise by the Cincinnati Reds. Um, but I think that with O'Neill Cruz coming back, that might light somewhat of a fire under this offense. You also have uh, Henry Davis coming up uh, that just made his appearance. So you never know. I think this is more of kind of my variable pick where I'm not 100% certain where it's going. It's probably the riskiest one that I have, but I also like the outlook at 479. I feel like this could potentially be at least a 500 ball club, right? And uh, so in my eyes, I feel like that's a relatively safe pick. 15 shares gets me $7.19. A lot going to ride on Mitch Keller, right? Which which Mitch Keller are you going to get? Uh, that's the that's a great question. And, and honestly, I, I'm a big Mitch Keller fan. I really am. But it, as you kind of alluded to there, he is so streaky. He is so high and so low. His highs can be, I mean, he could be one of the best pitchers in baseball on any given day. And then he goes out and gives up, you know, four or five runs. And, and you're like, where did this guy go? So. Um, yeah, the pitching is a bit of a question mark for me, but if O'Neill Cruz comes back and this team is really kind of hovering around where they're at right now, 
I don't see how that number drops, right? So I, I feel like it's it's a little risky, but I'm not that concerned about it. The riskiest pick that I have is the 20 shares that I'm putting on the Minnesota Twins. They're at 493 right now. It's crazy. They're in first place and they're under 500. Um, this gets me $9.86. The reason why I'm going with the Twins is if I didn't go with the Twins, I would have gone with the Guardians, right? But I also think the Guardians are going to sell Shane Bieber. And if you sell your face, and, and honestly, outside of Jose Ramirez, that's really the face of this franchise, you wonder what other moves follow. And so, you know, if they're doing that, they're not competing for the regular season. Uh, the Guardians are kind of notorious for you know, having low cost players and building up within their system, calling them up. And and who knows what that process looks like? While the twins, they have a couple more win now players. I would say Byron Buxton, that clock is ticking a little more on him. Right. And so um, I just see the twins as more of a win now than the guardians. And that's the reason why I'm putting 20 shares on them. And if they can get to 500 and win the division, I'm making money on this. So that that's really the reason behind that. I have 25 shares on the LA Dodgers. Uh, do I think this is a good ball club? No. But do I think they're better than an 87 win ball club? Yeah, barely. I think maybe 90 wins is kind of where they hover. Um, and most teams would be thrilled with 90 wins, but I just think that there are better teams in the NL. I also hear that, Andrew Friedman will be going out and getting pitching at the deadline. That leads me to believe he's going to address their biggest weakness, which is their bullpen. So you'd think that they would be better in the second half than they've been in the first half. I expect around 90 wins. I don't think this is going to be a huge jump for me, but if I put 25 shares on them, then that's obviously where my value goes up a little bit. It's 1355 at this time. I have the same reasoning for the New York Yankees. Aaron Judge, he's been out and they just haven't looked great without him. When he comes in the lineup, Game changes completely. 25 shares on the Yankees. Uh, same win percentage as the Dodgers, 542. This is better than an 87-win team. I, I think the Yankees are like a 93-94 win team at a minimum. I feel like this feels kind of automatic at this point. The only thing that's tough for them is they're also in the hardest division in all of baseball. The last one that I have, I have 40 shares on the Houston Astros. The fact that they're 534 without having a healthy Jordan Alvarez is quite remarkable. And granted, he's played a lot of games this year, but he hasn't played all of them. And uh, if he does come back in a timely manner, I'm feeling pretty good about that. But even then, I think they've underperformed throughout the regular season. And I just don't see this team being an 86-win team coming off a World Series title. It's feeling more kind of the same route as the Yankees. I'm thinking like 90 plus for the Astros. So I put 40 shares on them. They're probably my safest bet at this time. Plus, I'm just kind of expecting an inevitable crumble by the Angels. So that's kind of where I stand with that. I think it's interesting with the Astros because that's going to be more of a long-term play all the way through because if mm -hmm. we're just talking about the next time we do this when you could buy more or sell some of what you have, uh, it might be tough for them to be that much better depending on how much longer Jordan Alvarez is out. Same with Aaron Judge with the Yankees, which, which they've really struggled without him. But I do tend to agree over the long haul, especially with the Astros. I mean – Oh, they just keep losing stud pitchers, Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander, all these guys. And they keep emerging more and more, whether it was the guys who were coming up before Christian Javier's of the world. Hunter Brown looks excellent this year. Even J.P. Sears has is, is become really interesting for me uh, from what he's doing with the team. I, I think your biggest risk one is the Pirates, though, because like I guess, I mean, with some of the young players like Cabrian Hayes seemed to have found it for a few weeks and, and, and now it's kind of settled back down again. Right. Yeah. Like. Mitch Keller, great to start the year, and then, you know, had had a bit of a rough patch there, right? Like, that could really go either way, but 
also the beauty of the NL Central is nobody is out of it, you know? The hardest one for me was not taking the Cincinnati Reds. I, mm. I was sitting here for a while thinking, man, I could throw up to 20 shares on this team. But where you're standing right now, do you really think that the Cincinnati Reds, like convincingly, are going to get much better than what they've been playing right now? It's hard to see that. And so that if there's one team that, you know, at the deadline, I would probably throw the rest of my money at, it would be the Reds. Because at this time, I don't really know what I'm seeing from them just yet. I, this is a great ball club. I just don't know what their ceiling is in 2023. In 2024, I'm throwing money at them. I don't really care what the over-under is. I'm putting the over on them. Like, I love the Reds. Like, I, I've seen a lot of these young prospects right down the street from me. And so it's been really interesting because I've kind of gotten the chance to have the inside on some of these guys. I've had the chance to talk to L.A. De La Cruz about kind of his progression and, and what that looks like. And it's very obvious that this team is going to be good in the long run. The question for me with them is, are they going to be a contender in 2023? I, I don't know yet. That, that was that was the most difficult one was not choosing the Reds out of all the moves that I made. Okay, if you could if you could short a team. So basically meaning that like you expect them to fail. We won't actually count this, but just for curiosity's sake, like I, I don't know who would stick out. Would you go with the Rays just because like they could still be a 95 win team, but that would be a severe dip in the winning percentage. For me, I think I would go with uh, I don't know. I'd almost be tempted to go with the Marlins. They're red hot right now. Like, do I think they're 11 games over 500? Good. Nah, probably not. Um, either them or like maybe even the Cubs, the Cubs, which is funny. The Cubs actually have the best run differential in the NL central, but like feels like they've been fading since a nice, like first, whatever, 20 games, 25 ish games of the season um, to where I could see them even maybe selling a few pieces at the deadline. They're 34 and 38, like them finishing way worse than that. I don't know. Would, would there be anybody that sticks out if, if you had to short somebody? I Part of me wants to say the Baltimore Orioles, to be honest, because they've been playing great baseball of late. I just have a hard time seeing their pitching being able to step up throughout the second half of the season. You know, they've gotten pretty decent starts out of guys like Tyler Wells, but I, I, they're not a deep rotation. They're going to have to make moves to the deadline to be able to make that happen. I, I'm a big believer in pitching wins ball games more than offense even. And and it's hard for me to see that Baltimore offense, you know, collectively staying hot the entire season. They're, they're going to hit some sort of, you know, hurdle along the way. And so um, while yeah. I think they're, I, I think they're a good team. No, like, like I'm not going to hate on the Orioles. If you're an Orioles fan listening to this. But no, to your point, to your yeah. point, their winning percentage right now would put them on pace for a hundred and, and a half games. Yeah. They could win 92 games, which would still be a great year. Yeah. That would be about a five, six percentage yeah. point drop. Yeah. And that's kind of how I see it. I, I think the Orioles are more of like a 95, 94, you know, but, but like, it, it's just hard to see them at the pace they're going right now keeping this going unless they make some dramatic move at the deadline, which I, I can't tell you the last time the Orioles have made a move at the deadline, you know, like I, I granted when's the last time they've been good. It, the other thing is the Orioles are still technically on the rise with their youth. So they're not going to sell off their youth right now. Um, guys like Jordan Westberg, who should be called up, Derek and I are very passionate about that. Um, they're not trading that piece, right? So I, I just, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to see the Orioles being better win percentage-wise than where they're at. I would probably short them, and not because I don't think they're good. I just don't think that they have the pitching to sustain this really what has been an incredible ride for them. I, I would say if anybody else, 
um, in the National League. I might actually short the Milwaukee Brewers. Corbin Burns has had some problems with the organization. They're not necessarily a good team. And if the Reds continue to do what they're doing, then maybe Milwaukee kind of sits pat like they've done in years past. I don't know. Milwaukee doesn't really make moves at the deadline either. And so they don't ever really put themselves in like a win now position and they're not good enough to win anything this year. So maybe short them because they're over 500. They're at 514. So maybe they're like a 500 team or under 500 and the Pirates ascend. Or I, I don't know. I don't know how that looks, but I, I just... I don't really feel good about the Brewers per se. All right. Well, we promised you that we would go to our mailbag. It's our once a month kind of thing. And Derek, we're going to do just that. We are going to turn to our fans out there that have questions for us. And specifically, we're going to start right from the top here. Uh, Derek, you can answer the question first and I'll kind of respond. We'll banter back and forth on each one of these. But we're going to start with Matt. Uh, Matt asks us, if I'm in an AL only two catcher league, is this the dumbest rule ever? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is that the dumbest rule ever? I, so I actually have been a proponent of two catcher leagues, but for like normal size league, it's an AL only league. There are only 15 teams in the AL. I, I did not find out from Matt how many teams are in his league, but you can assume there's at least eight, right? Like it's eight, 10, 12. Like those are usually size. why do you have a two catcher league? Now, I guess there are certain players where maybe they have catcher eligibility and they play something like, Obviously, this guy's a National League catcher, but Blake Sable, he plays him in the outfield. He has catcher eligibility. But, like, what the heck? That's so dumb. That is so dumb. Yes, that is a dumb rule. I don't know if it's the dumbest ever. In an AL only league. (laughs) I get annoyed if it's, you know, a regular fantasy league. But in an AL only league. (laughs) That's horrible, man. I'm so sorry that you're in that league. Why would you join that? And rightfully <laughs> like that that's got to be one of those like you know in fantasy football how um there there's one league that i saw in fantasy football that gives you like five points per reception and so you know like travis kelsey is like the first pick in the draft and um it's just it's insane though because you know quarterbacks don't really matter as much like like you go down the list like like i mean what do you want? You want receivers running backs don't even matter that much, except for the guys that get receptions out of the backfield. So it kind of feels that same way. It's just, that's just stupid, man. Like, I mean, is your first pick overall, like, like what even is a good catcher? In yeah. The- there's, there's the pocket ace strategy, which is, is basically you take in a one year league, you take pitchers in your first and second round, and then you have your aces out of the way and you don't have to take a pitcher until later. Do you do that in this? Do you just go, yeah. you know, pocket catchers? Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm trying to think of even who I would pick in the AL. Uh, I don't who, know, man. Who? Adley Rutschman would be yeah. like that's a the only one. pick. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, like, do you pick Adley Salvador Rutschman? Salvador Perez would be like a second rounder. Yeah. Okay. That's that's a good one. Yeah. I didn't, it, Sally didn't cross my mind initially. Yeah. I mean, Adley's the obvious number one, but like, there's not much depth there. That That's terrible. That is terrible. Get new friends. Uh, get a new league. Don't 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 stay in that one next year. Um, Nate has asked us if the Angels came out and said they would trade Otani, which right now, by the way, the Angels are over five hundred. Uh, what would that package potentially look like? And of course, you know, I think it starts Derek by saying not only are they playing okay, but it also depends on if he'd resign or not, and uh, we don't know that yet. But kind of, what do you see that as? Yeah, because, I mean, if if, uh, if he tells the team he was going to that he's going to re-sign, the, the number, the value that's going to go back in return is exponential, right? Like, 
you know, you, you might easily want to compare it to what Juan Soto got in return from the Nationals last year, but you can't because Juan Soto, at the time the Padres acquired him, had that rest of the season, this year, and next year under contract. So that's two and a half years of Juan Soto. And I get it. Yeah, Shohei Otani is a pitcher and a hitter, so you're getting double value and saving a roster spot. But it's not going to be that much value. So it's probably less than what the Nationals got unless – that he says that he wants to resign there. If he wants to resign there, then you then it'll be more than what Juan Soto got, I would imagine, right at that point. But yeah, like teams that I think th- there's a couple ways of going after this. Are you a team that just goes for the one year rental of it, or are you a team that brings him in and tries to use that two or three months to have success, use him to try to win that year, but also use those couple months to start negotiating with him or you know, at least like endearing him to the city, to the team, to the organization, things you do well. Uh, the Dodgers have been rumored around. Uh, the Cardinals were a team that was rumored around because they, they could have a lot of good players to offer him, but obviously they're bad, so that would change. That Like they would just need to get better. Uh, both New York clubs could probably look at it financially. Hey, here's the one that I want to go with just for the sake of like talking about this, because obviously there are so many good teams that would love to have him and will try to trade for him. What if you did a fun trade with the Tampa Bay Rays where they're going, hey, we have the best record in baseball. We're obviously not going to be able to re-sign Otani. And this goes further into the idea if, you know, Otani doesn't say wherever he gets traded, he's going to re-sign, which seems more likely. And the Rays go, hey, we're obviously not going to re-sign him. Let's just do this as the greatest buy now opportunity ever. We have a great team already. We love to manipulate with the roster anyway. This would save us a roster spot. And we know the Rays have a bunch of great players, whether it's prospects, whether it's young players on the major league roster, they could flip back to the Angels. What what do you think would be good enough here? Like, if you're under the assumption that Otani is not going to re-sign with you, is is Taj Bradley and Kyle Manzardo one of the top prospects in baseball? Like, on one hand, that doesn't feel like enough for Otani, and it's not value-wise, but if Otani's not going to re-sign with the Angels and it's only three months or two months of value for the Rays, is that too much for Otani, right? You can argue it both ways. I, I think that would be, like, very interesting, especially because the Rays have, you know, you could Curtis Mead in a deal, Jonathan Aranda, I mentioned Taj Bradley, like, uh, young players that are on the roster, Taylor Walls. Like, I, I don't know. There's so many options that that one would be super intriguing to me. You know, I, I, I sit here and I wonder – um, number one, you have to look at the team's depth in, in the farm system, right? Because you're not going to be able to get Otani without parting with a top prospect. That's that's just step one right there. And, and it, the first trade that comes to mind, it's not even necessarily the Juan Soto one because there was control with Juan Soto. There's not control with Otani. So you wonder if like the Trey Turner, Max Scherzer trade to the Dodgers, like you're getting an elite starter and an elite offensive piece, if that kind of models what you might be getting. And so in that trade, if you remember, the Dodgers gave up their number one and number two overall prospects. That was Josiah Gray, their top pitching prospect, and their top catching prospect was Kyber Ruiz. And then they also gave up Gerardo Carrillo, who we don't really know of, and Donovan Casey. So they had a couple throw-ins as well. But with that in mind... You know, if that's kind of the base, you're getting it in one player, as you mentioned. So you're condensing a roster spot. There's going to be probably maybe more value than what was brought in. So I'm talking like you got to get, as you mentioned, with the race, two top prospects. That's not a bad one right there. I, I think that's actually kind of intriguing. Um, you know, a team that's interesting to me, if if all goes according to plan with the Pirates, what if they traded a piece like Quinn Priester? 
right? And they also paired it with an Andy Rodriguez. Uh, because obviously you already have Henry Davis up. You don't necessarily need a catcher per se. Those are two prospects. And the Pirates have a bunch of kind of fluff prospects that they've gotten over the years as well, you toss in. What if they're competing? And it, kind of the same reason as that you have with the Rays, they're not going to be able to sign an Otani. So this would be their moment. Um, you pair him there. Who, who Who's the Pirates' utility? Who's their DH? They don't have one. They don't have a concrete one. So to be able to go out and get a piece like that, a guy that you know you won't see in your system really ever, I, I think that you jump and capitalize on that moment. Now, the question is, is that enough? I don't know. I, I, I'm not really sure if that is. And, and it's I hard guess, to- yeah, the way that I'm viewing it is if you're another team and you hear that, hey, right now the Pirates are the team to beat with an offer of what you just said, which that is a good offer. I mean, those are two really good prospects with Priester and Andy Rodriguez. But if you're the Dodgers, if you're the Giants, the Yankees, Mets, any of these teams, are you sitting there going, well, nothing we can do about that? Or are you sitting there going, this is a once-in-a-generation player who right now is minus 400 when MVP. Mm-hmm. You know what? I think we'll beat that offer, right? Like I, I yeah. feel like I feel like the Scherzer and Turner one was a little bit weirder because Scherzer was older. There was a lot of money involved. It seemed like there weren't as many teams bidding it up. It was just like the Padres and the Dodgers. It still in the moment felt like they didn't give up enough. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just me like thinking Otani is that good that – there has to be even more in there, but uh, you are right because of the fact that you might only be buying him for three months. There is a good chance if he did get traded, we're going to look at it and be like, that's all they got for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, you know, I look at, okay, what would the Dodgers part with? Well, they're going to probably ask for Diego Cartaya, right? Are the Dodgers willing to part with that? Maybe. I mean, are the angels happy with Logan O'Hoppy, right? He right. just had shoulder surgery. So right. who knows their, their thoughts on him, right? They might not need a catcher. And are the Yankees willing to part with Jason Dominguez, which kind of feels like the piece that would have to be included in that. So, so that's, that's the thing that you have to think about. Um, you know, it'd be interesting uh, kind of looking at some of these teams and just thinking, you know, off the top of the head, you, you mentioned the Cardinals. It's a shame they're not good because they have the best pieces probably to pry Otani away just based on the depth that they have in the minor leagues. But I don't know, man. It's so hard to say exactly who has exactly the right pieces to pry him away. It might be the Rays. Honestly, the Rays have so many breakout young guys, too, in the minor leagues. If you check it out, they have a guy that, you know, is hitting like, I think he is like 20 home runs or something like that. Like, like they have one in double A, they have one in triple A. It's crazy. Like, they have guys that are producing at a very high level that are blocked because of the system that they have right now. So I like the Rays as an option. I really do. Um, I The thing that I have a hard time with is seeing the Angels actually parting with Otani. I, yeah. I feel like the Angels are as poorly managed and run as the Colorado Rockies. And I'm very passionate about what the Rockies did with Trevor Story. They absolutely botched what they did handling him because they could have gotten a decent pull of prospects to help build them to get to where they are today, right? Help Help get them further. And they didn't take advantage of that. And now they've set themselves back a couple of years because of the management of one player, right? Like they could have had pieces going their way and they didn't do that. And I see the angels being the same way. I, I have a hard time seeing them actually parting with Otani. Um, the next question that we have is also from Nate. And he asked who is the most well-rounded team in baseball and why is it the Atlanta Braves? Um, you know, while the Braves are a good baseball team, it's hard to say that being the most well-rounded team just simply because their starting pitching is a little bit of a question mark. Max Freed hurt. 
Um, you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of Bryce Elder for an entire season. Uh, the depth there is not significant. You know, Spencer Strider, for as effective as he is striking out hitters, his ERA is over four. So who is the most re- well-rounded team, Derek? Yeah, I mean, it still could be the Braves, but you're 100% right. I mean, Mike Soroka, like that hasn't gone as as well as, as they would have hoped. Well, we'll see how long the smith Shaver thing lasts. Like he, he's got good stuff, so we'll see if he sticks. Like you said, I'm expecting a big uh, drop-off for Bryce Elder at some point here. I don't know, do you go with the Rays? I mean, they're the team with the best record in the MLB. They have the best run differential in the MLB. They have a loaded bullpen. They have a loaded starting pitching core. And, you know, they're, they're getting more than enough uh, run production right now. I, I think it's unfortunate that Jacob DeGrom is injured for the, the Rangers mm-hmm. because otherwise I would almost argue them. Now, yeah. I like the Rays' bullpen better than the Rangers' bullpen, but I also think the bullpen is maybe not – I don't know. It, it might be the easiest thing to add at the deadline, right? Like you can at least add one big piece in, at the deadline there. And if you really have three, like, trustworthy relievers, that can actually get you through the postseason. So um, maybe they would be up there because the Rangers are the number one scoring team. Uh, there's there's some good options here, man, but – I. I think I'd probably go between the, yeah, the Braves, the Rangers, or the Rays would be my three. I think the Rays are the easy answer for me. And it's just as what you mentioned right there with DeGrom. With DeGrom being out, the Rangers for me would probably be the second place. The offense is really effective. One of the best in baseball. The pitching's great, but without DeGrom, that's a huge void. Um, and meanwhile, with the Rays, you have arguably the best pitcher in all of baseball in Shane McClanahan. So, uh, and then the depth of pitching that they have in that rotation. The, I mean, I, I, look at what they've done with guys like Eflin. Eflin has come out and, you know, he's a decent starter with Philadelphia. And now he looks like a trustworthy number two, number three. The most they've ever paid a free agent. They yeah. were right. Yeah. And it was actually a good signing. So, I mean, I don't know. The Rays. They are clicking on all cylinders. They are effective on all sides of the ball. Um, you know, I remember back in 2020, Derek and I did a podcast where we talked about what is our favorite Rays reliever, right? And it still kind of sticks true to this day because they still have like four to five guys that come out of the pen that you're like, dude, this guy is shutting us down. And, and, and so I, I don't know. I just, I think the Rays are probably the safest and very simply I mean, best record in baseball. They've been the best team. I think. I think case in point, that's who it is. But yeah, the Braves are up there. I just. I don't know if they're the best at the moment. Uh, ben asks us, what former player over the age of fifty would have the most big league success <laughs> right now? It's <laughs> it's a, a ridiculous question, Ben. <laughs> I love this. Uh, I'm just gonna go with Barry Bonds. Um, he's <laughs> like 58 right now, so he's yeah. clearing it by a good amount. Yeah, maybe the the obvious idea would be go as close to 50 as possible. Barry Bonds in his 42-year-old season had a 480 on-base percentage with an OPS over 1,000. He uh, had 132 walks. He had 28 home runs that season in 126 games. And there was also that legendary story, I think it was from like 2018 or something like that, uh, maybe 2016, of uh, Barry Bonds participating in a home run derby with Christian Yelich and Giancarlo Stanton in like a – uh, just just for fun, spring training or before a game or something. And Barry Bonds beat both of them in 2016. That's ridiculous. So yes, it's been seven more years since then, but that was still when he was over 50. So I think that he could at least like be Carlos Santana, you know, maybe hitting the low 200s, walk a good amount, every so often bop a home run. I, I think Barry Bonds is the answer here. It's so difficult. You know, I if A-Rod was three years older <laughs> – that would be probably my choice because A-Rod's still in, like, ridiculous shape. 
Um, you think Nolan Ryan can still throw like 85? He probably can't. You know, I, I wonder about that sometimes. I'm like, these guys that are like way old, what what does that Ooh, what, look like? You know, I honestly. What about Greg Maddox? I mean, he has such good command. Yeah. Could he just like, like you look at Tyler Rogers. Tyler Rogers just has such a funky motion and all yeah. this movement. Oh, actually, you know what? The more I think about it, go with a knuckleball pitcher. Because the knuckleball is yeah. just going to give you at least some success, right? I don't know if R.A. Dickey or Tim Wakefield are past bring, 50. But, bring Wakefield. You, know. uh, you know, Ichiro was one that came to mind to me just mm. because Ichiro was a guy that, you know, could find a ways to get on base no matter what. And I'm sure he's still quick as heck. He's 49 years old. So Tim Wakefield, by the way, 56 years old, that would actually yeah. register. That that would that would possibly play. Um, I do think Barry Bonds is a fairly safe pick in that category. Um, give me three years to answer that, and I'll say A-Rod, just because I, I know for a fact that dude is he's going to be in, like, tip-top shape until the steroids hit him. And then, you know, 60, 60 on may not be fun for A-Rod. Let's put it that way. Um, moving on to Jerry, uh, has this been one of the most fun years for prospects coming up and doing well? Uh, it's a great question because you have guys like Yuri, uh, you have Ellie De La Cruz, you have Davis, Gunner, Josh Young has been incredible this year. Um, BB, I mean, all, <laughs> all the Millers is what we have down as our notes and it's true. Everybody with the last name Miller seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, Derek kind of, what, what does that look like in your eyes? Yeah, I, I think this has been. Um, obviously, the you know, a year before, it. let's not forget that you had Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt Jr. And, like, I mean, the rookie class last year was really fun, too. But, I mean, we didn't even include their Corbin Carroll this year has been killing it, right? Like, this to me has been that year. And, and I think part of it is the new CBA. I think part of it just happens to be an influx of talent. Like, obviously, in the new CBA, there's the rules about if you win rookie of the year, your team gets an extra comp pick between the first and second round. If they finish second or third, you get an extra pick in the, uh, I, I don't know, international draft or, or bonus money or, or something like that. Um, and then if you make the lottery three straight years, you don't get a lottery pick, Yeah, you know, that next year. So, like, there is more incentive to bring these guys up, bring them up early and stuff. Um, and, yeah, man, the, the wave of talent we've seen this year has just been absolutely fantastic. Josh Young has been awesome. Gunnar Henderson has figured it out. Like you mentioned, Ellie David Cruz is – sweeping the the nation yuri perez might be the best pitcher who's come up so far that dude is just absolutely nasty henry davis just came up you mentioned all the millers i love each and every one of them mason bobby and uh um blanking on the uh mariners guy which is funny because he's on my fantasy team right yeah, uh, yeah gavin williams coming up yeah bryce miller duh um I, dude like it, this has been such a fun year with prospects it, it, uh, Taj bradley like you go on and on and on down the list this is maybe the best year i can remember there Okay, so I do agree that this is a really good year. It's not the best year, though. And I'll give you the year in my eyes that is the best. 2018, okay? And this is why. Rookie of the Year voting. Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, Walker Bueller. That was your top three in the National League. Uh, I'll add that Jack Flaherty's kind of really fallen off. That was uh, He was fifth place, but he was pretty dang good his rookie year. Um, you also had Jeff McNeil come up that year. That was just in the National League. How about this, Derek? The American League Rookie of the Year voting. Shohei Otani, number one. Okay, that's all I have to say. I, <laughs> you, you, when you have Shohei Otani, Ronald Acuna Jr., Juan Soto, those three in the same class, I that is hard to beat. And I, I think the no, depth, you're right. Yeah, the depth this year is really impressive. 
But top heaviness, as far as maybe the elite of the elite, it's going to be hard to top 2018 just because we're talking about three guys that are generational talent, plus Walker Bueller, who, granted, he's injured right now, but we've seen him at the height of his career, possibly. We may not have yet. You know, like, if he returns and comes back, I mean, we've thought he has Cy Young potential. So um, we're talking four guys at a minimum um, that were really, really good that year. So, yeah, this year, obviously, I think there's some depth involved, but top heaviness, you're going to have to really convince me that these guys are better than Acuna, Soto, and Notani. That That is going to be very difficult. When when I look at those as three of the top maybe 10 players in baseball. Um, moving on to a couple more questions, then this will be the end for us as the, uh, the mailbag segment will return in a month. But we got two more, one from Josh. What are your thoughts on the Reds being a legitimate contender? I mean, I think they are. Uh, the Central is wide open. Why can't it be them? Uh, they have all these prospects coming up at the right time. Andrew Abbott's been great. Uh, Hunter Green obviously just got hurt, but you're seeing enough there from him. They have even more that they can come on the way, whether it's Christian Encarnacion, Strand, Nicola Dolo coming back from injury at some point where, uh, you know, it's really exciting. And I think there's something to be said. Uh, you look at going back to the prospect waves. A lot of the guys have come up. Like, uh, we didn't mention many of the Giants guys that have come up. Like, a lot of them haven't been, like, super fantasy noteworthy, whether it's a Casey Schmidt, maybe for at the beginning, or Patrick Bailey, or some of these guys – you look at some of these teams that are bringing up a lot of these young prospects. If they hit, if they at least are like average or above average, it brings such an enthusiasm to the team, to the fan base. It brings a buzz about it. And I think that helps with some of the older guys because it makes it feel like you are pushing to win. And then when you, you bring it around and, and those guys are contributing at a high level beyond that, like your, you know, Ellie Dela Cruz's and whatnot, Josh Young, been unbelievable for one of the best offenses in baseball. Um, it, it really comes together. So, yeah, I, I think they are a legitimate contender, and I, I hope that they're buyers at the trade deadline, and I hope that we get to see a healthy Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green as part of this rotation because they could definitely be dangerous even in a playoff series. Without being, you know, jumping the gun or anything, just the rumors here in Louisville are simply that the Reds will be buying at the deadline. Like, it's a guarantee based off the production that this team has had and also the fact that this is really the most exciting time for the Reds since 2013, I believe, I want to say. Um, if you remember, they were in the postseason 2020, but, of course, with COVID and everything, that kind of took away from, you know, what the fans were able to do. And uh, so this is really an amazing time for the Reds because over the last decade, they've been terrible. And so to have the chance to win they're not going to sit on their and rest on their laurels they're actually going to go out and make a move and so i'm curious to see what that move is how significant it is but you know i i gotta say the thing that we're not talking about with the reds is their bullpen they yeah. have an exceptional bullpen and i think lucas sims is starting to prove that he is a reliable setup man and Alexis Diaz might be the best closer in baseball. Like there, there's a real chance. Like you could throw him in the argument that he's the best closer in baseball. I, I'm not going to say he is, but you know, top three, I think is a very easy, safe thing to say and more reliable than most closers out there. So you talk about the fact that you have all this young talent coming up mixed with a relatively safe eighth and ninth inning that plays a big role for me. And in a division that hasn't been impressed, like rather impressive, I would say the Reds have been. And I, I think that sweeping the Astros in their own ballpark, that was a huge statement to me, right? Whether or not your Don is there, the fact that you're able to do that against the defending champs, that says something that says that you have enough pieces that you can win ball games 
in even the toughest of environments. And that probably had to give him some confidence moving forward. I, I think this is a legitimate team. The question is, how high is their ceiling? As I talked about earlier in 2023, that I don't know. But yeah, they're absolutely a contender. Uh, the last question that we have here is pretty simple. It's from Wade. What do the Dodgers need to do to fix their bullpen? And uh, Derek, you got to witness that bullpen. And quite frankly, the the garbage that is the LA Dodgers right now with the Giants sweep over the Dodgers. Man, talk about two teams going in opposite directions. That That's what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, the second game was, geez, that was bananas, especially with Bobby Miller getting the start and everything. Um, I, I, I think this is very simple. You, you make a trade is the short answer there. Now, you might be the follow-up to that. Who are you making a trade with or who are you making a trade for? I think there is a very, very logical team to make a trade with. The Kansas City Royals are very bad right now. Yep. They don't have a ton of trade pieces, as you talked about earlier, because it's a lot of young players trying to, they're trying to prove their worth and, and see are they future pieces or not. But that's not the case for the bullpen. Aroldis Chapman is on a one-year deal. He's actually had a really good year with the Royals. Scott Barlow is a trade candidate as well, who's been at least a decent relief pitcher. The Dodgers could probably do something where they, they maybe make some sort of trade where either they give like one really good prospect and maybe get both of those guys and maybe something else in return, or they give, you know, just a couple maybe decent prospects and get both, or maybe they give, you know, a couple decent prospects and just target whichever one they like better. I think that would make so much sense. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. I would say the Royals are target number one, and I'll stay in that same division. Target number two is the White Sox. Uh, the White Sox have some decent relievers that I think uh, can turn over and pitch decently well for the Dodgers, whether that be, you know, if Liam Hendricks comes back healthy, could that possibly be a piece? Um, could you see a guy like Kendall Graveman being back on the move again? Uh, so, you know, it, it's really a terrible bullpen the Dodgers have. They have to do a complete overhaul. Um, they have Blake Trinan and they have JP Fireisen currently injured, waiting in the wings. The question is, when do they come back? We don't know. Uh, the other question mark is, okay, if Dustin May comes back, well, does a guy like Emmett Sheehan all of a sudden go to the bullpen or does he stay in the rotation? I mean, there's a lot of questions about the health of the starting rotation that I think impacts that bullpen a little bit. But I got to tell you, there's no way this team is winning anything if the current stance of their bullpen stays. I mean, it is an awful bullpen. So, um, yeah, they're going to have to go out and make a trade. Uh, they just signed Ryan Brazier, who, I mean, don't expect really anything from that. But, um, you know, I think the Dodgers are kind of grasping at straws with free agents out there right now. I mean, what can you do? It's, it's the middle of the season. So it's just tough to say. I mean, if, if you're going to the White Sox, well, would it not make a ton of sense to be like, let's do a package deal. You give us a reliever or two. We also get Lucas Giolito, bring yeah. him back home to yeah. Southern California yep. and maybe give up, you know, some extra prospect capital. I think that that is a pretty logical idea and it's definitely been rumored. Um, the question is how much is Giolito going to cost? Uh, it's hard to say, but uh, apparently there are reports in the White Sox system that players have requested trades. Wouldn't be shocking if he's one of them. Um, so yeah, we will see uh, where that goes down the road. But before we go, it's our last call segment and uh, it's fantasy shots, Derek. Pretty simply, we answer this in less than five words. Okay, so... I'm just going to say it as it is, and you answer it the way that you want to. Uh, but these are shots. They're quick. They're fast. We don't have to explain them very quickly. So I'm not going to explain the segment very quickly. Let's get right to it. Luis Arise is a top 20 single season player. No, not enough else. I agree. He is not. Uh, Luis, <laughs> he, 
He is not. That's three right there. Uh, Luis Arise is a top 30 keeper player. Also, no. I, I, I'm just going to pass the rule. Whatever. If he hits 350 instead of 400, <laughs> he's a top, what, 60 player instead of top 30? Like, the margin of error is not there. So, no. No. Not top 30. Top 100, maybe. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt being traded will help his fantasy value. Yes, Cardinals bad hitters ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say no. Protection with Arenado. I like that part. I like that part. I, I still think he's in a good role. Uh, Ryan McMahon is a top 40 regular season player. Right now, yes. Overall, no. No across the board. Don't believe in him. Uh, you should sell, if you own him, Spencer Strider right now. Mm, no. No, 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 no. Big fat no. ERA four, don't care. Uh, you should sell, you should sell Nathan Eovaldi right now. Yes, past injuries. Yes, agree with Derek. Uh, you should you should you should buy Sandy Alcantara right now. This should just be the caveman segment because that's what we sound like with these five words. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with him. I really don't. I don't. I say yes. <laughs> Cy Young. That's five words right there. I say yes, Cy Young. Got to trust the resume, right? Like, it's got to come back. Uh, you should buy Shane Bieber right now. Definitely no strikeouts down. I say yes. New team, question mark? I oh. say on Dusty's fantasy team. <laughs> I say yes. <laughs> if he gets traded to a team that actually knows how to score runs for him, maybe, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, the last one. The top two closers for fantasy baseball right now, they are blank. Go. Mm, I want to go Alexis Diaz and then – which, by the way, the one thing about the Reds being uh, good and the Mets not being good is we don't end up with the fantasy idea of Alexis Diaz just taking over for, you know, his brother being hurt in right. New York. Right. Uh, so that didn't end up happening. Honestly, I feel like I'm about to blank on somebody who's very obvious right now. Um, gosh, who am I forgetting? I don't know. Give me your two. Alexis Diaz, Felix Batista. Oh, yeah, duh. Okay, I even have Batista on my fantasy team. Yep, I knew I was I was about to say somebody really stupid, and I'm so glad that you said that. Yeah. Who are you going to say? Who are you to say? I need to know. I was just going to say whoever the Rays closer is that day. That's, I, that's <laughs> not stupid. It's it's fair. They have like 70 of them. Josh Hader came to the back of my mind, but he, he's not top two. Yeah, good bounce but, back for him. Honestly, yeah. Camilo Duvall at times looks yeah. like it, but there are sometimes yeah. walk issues. So, I don't know. There There's some good options there. Agreed. Well, we completely failed on keeping it at five words, but that's that's your fantasy shots right there. That's a good way to close this show out as well. Derek, any last second thoughts? Uh, no. Uh, thank you for everybody who's wished me well words about the, the pregnancy. Uh, we're, we're definitely keeping it more on the down low and, and more quiet there, but it is out in the open now with this podcast, so no hiding from that here. But uh, yeah, hope you have a good rest of your week and uh, can't wait till next time. Derek's hoping to get that dad strength in his fantasy matchup. We're facing each other this week, and uh, we'll do this podcast again in two weeks as well. On behalf of Derek Johnson, I'm Dusty Baker. Thanks again for pulling up a bar stool and hanging with us. Let's grab a drink again in those two weeks. Until then, we will talk to you soon. Cheers.